Hello, and welcome to the Third Age Design Podcast, sharing essential information on senior environments. I'm Laurie Pinkerton Rowley, and this is the episode that Chichi and Dasher in my house have been waiting for. It's pets in care, dementia, and retirement living. In fact, we have so much to cover today that we have three guests in total so that we can view the topic from all sorts of different angles. So from Ohio State University in Columbus, USA, I'll be speaking with Dr. Jason Stahl about the benefits and risks associated with pets in these environments. From Oregon in the US, we'll speak with Scott Witt, founder of Select Home Care in Portland about their experiences especially within the home care market. And our third guest today is Ian Cole, manager of the Hallmark Care Home's newest facility, Willingdon Park Manor, a home where residents can join the community with their pets. Now, this is like a trip down memory lane for me because I was born in Ohio, lived in Portland when I was growing up, and I'm moving to Willingdon in just a couple of weeks. (laughs) So it's just kind of fortuitous, I guess. Anyway, today's mission, a review of do's and don'ts of pets in senior living environments, what's good about it, and what you can do to get your facility right for this opportunity. Arthur Schopenhauer said, talent hits a target that no one else can hit. Genius hits a target that no one else can see. Now, I'm not claiming we're geniuses here at thirdage.design, but I can promise you we bring together the top talent and leaders in their respective fields to share with you essential information which can positively impact senior living environments. And we back it up with relevant research on the links on our website. And if you haven't done so already, just go to our website at thirdage.design and hit the Join Us button. You'll automatically receive this quarter's A Tad Extra exclusive information for our community members. You're going to learn something new and possibly even challenging in each podcast episode. Plus, it's entirely free. The Third Age Design Podcast is supported by Care Concepts, whose mission is to enhance quality of life through innovation. From hydrotherapy pools to furniture, you'll find quality, aesthetics, and functionality in all unique Innova products. Anova Care Concepts, the leading edge of healthcare. Okay, let's get started. Who let the dogs out? Who let the dogs Our first guest today is Dr. Jason Stahl, an assistant professor in veterinary medicine at the Ohio State University and University of Prince Edward Island, which is in Canada. Over the past 20 years, he's taught and conducted research on the health risks and benefits of animals in various settings, including medical facilities and nursing homes. He holds a VMD from the University of Pennsylvania, a master's in preventative veterinary medicine from the University of California at Davis, and a PhD in veterinary infectious disease from the University of Guelph. Am I pronouncing that correctly? Guelph. Guelph. Not easy. Um, He's also a diplomat of the American College of Veterinary Preventative Medicine. So I can think of no one more qualified to get us started today. Thank you for joining us, Dr. Stahl. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. 
I first read about your work in a Reuters article from back in 2018 about the benefits and risks of pets in nursing homes specifically. And I want to begin by asking how you got involved in this particular topic and area of study, because it is quite a niche market. <laughs> it is. If you don't it mind is. me saying so, yeah. No, it really, it really is. So, uh, so a little background on me. So you've you've obviously discussed my my educational background. Um, I was always very interested in public health uh, as a young adult, and I actually worked in public health in the U.S. for a number of years. So I was a veterinarian working within human public health. Mm -hmm. So kind of serving as that facilitator between animal and people and health comp components. Did that for a number of years. I got a PhD in veterinary infectious diseases. And I was always very interested in kind of the disease side of things. So the opportunity for different disease causing agents to move between animals and people. Right. Certainly, this is nothing new to people having gone through and being gone through we're familiar with this this concept, um, but it happens all the time. But there is oftentimes a lack of of appreciation for that opportunity to happen. And so, um, one of the areas that I get interested and in, I'm interested in with with what we call zoonotic diseases, diseases that are transmitted from animals to people, is in particularly highly vulnerable individuals. And so these are the extremes of age, so very young individuals, elderly individuals immunocompromised people and pregnant people. And so the nursing home community really captures a critical group of these individuals. And so many of them are over the age of 65. Some of them may be otherwise immunocompromised. And so it was an area that I think deserved attention I was quite interested in. Additionally, as I began to kind of pull back the layers a little bit, there's not a lot of research that's actually in this area. And it's a little yeah. frustrating because I think people really want to do what's right. So the benefits and risks, but if we can't really quantify those, it becomes very, very difficult to make good decisions. And so I began to, to kind of explore this a little bit. And um, I'll be honest with you, I started out with the, the disease side, but very quickly having actually been in many of these facilities and seen the animals and the interactions that the, that the individuals in these homes, uh, whether these were people that were uh, you know, patients in the places or residents or the staff, I really began to truly appreciate the benefits of having some of these animals. Well, let's start with those positives then, and then we can kind of pick apart what the what the challenges or negatives might be so that um, operators that are listening, uh, designers and architects can can have those considerations. So what what did you see were the positives? Sure. And some of it is my own uh, experiences, but also from the literature that's out there. Uh, so, so I think the positive, so there's this concept called the human-animal bond, right? And it's this, I think people that have pets certainly can know exactly what I'm talking about. It's this true connection that many people have with animals. And that can be cats or dogs or ferrets or or exotic animals or whatever it is that you connect with fish, for instance. So, um that connection has been shown to have dramatic improvements in health. So biological components with the way we function, which reducing depression, increasing mobility. So a variety of direct and indirect effects that, that, that are beneficial to health. 
so, so the situation that I observed was was a fairly simple one. It was a, an individual in one of these facilities. So we did, as part of the research, we did some walkthroughs, and we're talking to people and how they were managing, for instance, these were cats that were on this particular uh, group of rooms. And a woman starts coming by, and she had been diagnosed; she had dementia, and there was automatically a lot of tension between her and some of the staff. And there was a lot of challenges with trying to, to communicate with her. And all of a sudden, there was a, a wagon that came by carrying rabbits. <laughs> First of all, I've never seen rabbits not jump out of a wagon, but these were some really trained rabbits. The woman lit up. Her complete demeanor changed. Her ability and the staff's ability to communicate with her dramatically changed. And I was sold at that point, just that one instance to observe this transformation for not only her own experience there, but also the ability and the understanding for this type of connection. And that's something that we heard in many of the, the surveys that we did was this perceived improvement, this perceived enjoyment, perhaps not by all individuals, because not everyone's an animal lover, but by many individuals. So it's this concept, many people, as we know, uh, in, in the countries that we live in, have pets. Therefore, they we're creating kind of this home-like environment uh, with, with many of these benefits. And there have been a, a variety of studies. So they also talk about social capital, right? So individuals that have a pet or an animal next to them are much more likely to interact with other people because people can use that animal as kind of a, a, a launching board, right? Uh, yes, to begin, to begin this conversation. Yes. Exactly, right? And so there can be these, these impacts that the hard part of this concept is they're not always easy to measure. And so a lot of what we did was a lot about perceptions, but trying to actually measure and determine exactly what those benefits are are harder. And certainly there's, you know, benefits for cardiovascular disease and all these kind of things, but the human animal bond piece is much, much more difficult. So anyway, that's, those are, I think the benefits that we see. And I think those individuals that have had animals either in their lives or in their workplace can appreciate some of those. I mean, I can just imagine um, I'm, I'm not in a position where I'm, I'm needing to be in a care facility, but I would really have difficulty going without Chi-Chi and Dasher. You know, if I'm not going without my pets. So I can see that there's, uh, you know, it becomes part of your family. You were talking about this human, you know, pet connection. It's part of my family. Why would I relocate my family without the family members? Uh, becomes a bit of an, an issue. Now, I have cats. I happen to know you have a dog. Are there any kinds of animals that from a veterinary standpoint, um, you would recommend against keeping in a, a care or dementia facility specifically? There are. And so I think part, so there's, this, there's these clear benefits, but it's really important. Anyone who has a facility in which they're involving animals or is thinking about it, that you really educate yourself on all aspects of this. Because what I frequently see is this jumping in, these benefits, but then not taking necessarily all the time. And again, research isn't always isn't always as clear, but there's some 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 resources out there that we'll, we'll comment on later that can help you to develop a program that's going to maximize benefits 
reduce some of the risks. So, so what are the risks? There's a couple of key risks as I see them. So one are kind of bites and scratches, just simple physical issues. And so obviously that comes down to the temperament of the animal themselves. Mm-hmm. Number two is infectious disease risks. So in other words, the ability for an animal to transmit a bacteria, a virus, a parasite to a person. Now, we all know that. So there's hundreds of diseases that yeah. can be transmitted from companion animals, from dogs, cats, and, and you know other exotic animals to people. There are a couple of key groups of animals which are more likely to potentially harbor some of these, so have those in their bodies and then to transmit them to people. And these are some of the groups that I get more concerned about. So number one, let's talk about species. So reptiles and amphibians. Here we're talking about turtles, snakes, those types of animals. And I've been in facilities where I've seen those, and they they are high risk for transmitting diseases like salmonella. So you got to be really careful about some of those. Small rodents. So mice, rats, these these guys also have... Gerbils can can be a little bit so some of these some of these are not quite as bad. There's lots of gray areas, um, so we want to be a little bit more cautious about some of the the small rodents. Actually, rabbits are not technically rodents, and rabbits are probably a bit safer um, from some of these other other animals. Now, even dogs and cats. So young dogs and cats, and generally, I'm saying under the age of six months. So these animals are much more likely to be carrying various bacteria, et cetera, in their systems, much more likely to shed that. And there have actually been outbreaks related to, for instance, a brand new puppy brought into a facility. It had a bacteria called Campylobacter, which is pretty common in a lot of these guys, but it shed it to many of the people there and got and, and caused a lot of illness in the, in the facility. And just remember, although most of these situations don't necessarily result in extreme health issues, although they can in the people, you don't want this as part of your, your program, right? It's a negative, um, a negative strike against you. And if people aren't already happy with the concept, this is just more movement toward it. So, so those are some of the key groups, um, exotic animals. So Mm -hmm. animals that these are like chinchillas, um, groups that we just don't really know a lot about. So, and then the final group, are going to be farm animals. And you say farm animals? Who brings a farm animal? I've seen it all. So generally, especially young young animals. So for instance, baby chicks, baby ducklings. I was just going to ask about birds. Yeah. So the real young ones, um, you know, if it's in an enclosure like an aviary, generally those risks are a lot less. It's when we start to have uh, either direct contact, connect contact with or touching those animals or touching areas in which those animals have been. Uh, so as an example, I was at one facility and they were very excited about the fact that they just had a turtle race the day before. And so I had turtles walking across their floors. It's not really a, a great decision in terms of the types of interactions that are having. Turtles are shedding salmonella. Salmonella is a really nasty disease in people that are immunocompromised or elderly. We've got it on our floor. Now we've got to clean it up. So really taking some, some, some steps into thinking about what's the right animal for my intended use or involvement of that animal and really May matching. I just those. ask in terms of um, just going back to cats for a second, um, a common disease toxoplasmosis, which affects women, can affect women when they're giving birth, for example, or when they're pregnant. Mm-hmm. 
Um, does a disease like that have any potential impact that you're aware of for older people as well? Is that something that one might do before bringing pets in is any sort of a medical scan for any bacterial infections or viruses that they might carry? So, so perfect segue. Um, so a lot of this is not only the types of animals, but also we want to protect those animals. And, and that means having healthy animals. And so some of that is ensuring the pets themselves are healthy. So preventative care, regular veterinary care. And so before bringing that animal, especially if it's going to be a resident and it's going to live in the facility, having it evaluated by a veterinarian to ensure it's healthy. Now, I want to just make a, a comment about the toxoplasma concept. So this is one of those areas. So there's certain types of things we're going to look for. So generally, those that have pets may be familiar. A lot of times we're looking, uh, veterinarians will do a screen of their feces to look for different types of parasites. Yeah. And, that's, and generally, there's dewormers that we put them on because many of those things can travel to other animals or travel to people. Um, however, the only issue with Toxo, which which is an interesting one, is that, and is I think is is representative of this this whole topic, is that there's a lot of misinformation. And so we have to be very cautious to ensure that what we're doing is truly in the best interest of the animals and the people. So when we screen animals and looking for something, we have to recognize that that's at one point in time, and it may not be for instance, representative of that animal. So there's certain things we want to screen for, like some of parasites. Toxoplasma in cats is actually probably not the, the, the most common way that most people get infected with toxoplasma. It's actually undercooked meat. So know that. <laughs> yeah. So 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 that's probably even more important now. I will say cats, yes, can do shed if they're infected this this type of parasite, but it's in their poop. And it doesn't become infectious for generally at least two days after it's come into their poop. So a lot of this and, and mitigating these risks is around appropriate husbandry or care, right? So frequently cleaning that litter box. Key, we clean it every day. We've dramatically reduced toxoplasma. If that cat stays indoors ideally yeah. because of the types of things, it's not going to get infected with toxoplasma, right? And we're not feeding it raw foods. So really now we've dramatically impacted right. and reduced these risks. So, and again, when we talked about, I just got to say it, we're talking about cleaning up the poop. This is not somebody's job who is immunocompromised over the age of 65. Ideally, this is somebody who's a staff member, who's younger, who's healthy, and is doing those types of part of risk. their part of exactly. their, what they're doing. Can you you exactly. had mentioned, um, uh, research that you were going, or is there any specific research that you can um, make us aware of that we can put with the podcast research page for more information on some of these topics? Absolutely. So there's a handful of papers, and I'm going to mention a couple of them. Um, there should be more. It's frustrating. Um, and so one of the points I think that's frustrating is, is that also when we talk about kind of protecting that pet. And we've talked a little bit about, you know, kind of making sure that pet's healthy, but also it's protecting that pet from the amount of activity it has because it's pretty exhausting, right? We're all tired. We have to go from person to person to person. It's mm -hmm. probably tiring for a pet whose kind of job it is in many cases to go from person to person to person. So knowing what's that right amount hasn't really been defined, but so that's just something to keep in mind. So a couple of things I want to mention. There's, there's been a, a relatively recent kind of evaluation of what I'm going to call best practices 
for animals, and it's predominantly been in medical care facilities. And so that's a paper by Murphy, and I'm going to send you the link to that. The second one is, is a paper that, that I wrote um, not too long ago, and it was specific to nursing homes. And so we did some work in the United States, and this is related to the, uh, to the article that you had read about, and it was talking about the, uh, the work that we had done. That itself may be useful, but there's also a number of components within it in, in, in the, uh, that, that we cite and mention that may be of interest to people. One of those, and I'll give you also, we can include that with these resources, is an actual model policy. So it's a Word document. And it actually has kind of key concepts. All right, so who's going to take care of the pets and who's going to do A, B, and C? So it helps you to break it down so you don't have to start from scratch. You've got something that you can begin to create and to bring you up to speed. And, or if you already have a document, then you see how well it aligns. The final, thing, the final thing I'm going to mention, and so this will not be new probably to many individuals that are already involved in this concept of infection control within a facility, but there's a group, an international group, it's called Weber Trainings. And I've done, and I'll send you the link to that, I've done a number of uh, talks for this particular training group. They are open access after a year, right? So sorry, I wish it was, and if you want to pay for it, it's also like $30 or something. It's not super expensive. So I've done a number of these over the years. If you actually just search for my name, S-T-U-L-L, you'll come up with a number of talks on this topic. One that's probably most useful I did last fall. So if you want to wait until it becomes open access sometime, I think it was in September of this upcoming year, it will be open access to you or you can pay the, the nominal fee to get it. But these are some of the things that are out there that will help you direct you in ensuring that you're making the best choices for your And program. coming up with a policy. And in terms of the environment, and let's use care again as the, as the envelope, um, you mentioned having turtles crawling across the floor, you know, they may be shedding salmonella, for example. Um, we're often using uh, vinyl floor coverings for an infection control standpoint, but sometimes we'll also use impervious back carpets in the design work within these facilities. With pets, do you have and, and these impervious back carpets can also be bleach cleanable, for example, but then again, you might not want your cat or dog or turtle, let's say we're not having turtles, but any of the pets that you are having, you may not want them walking across something that has recently been bleached, for example. So do you have any guidelines, and you may not, but do you have any guidelines for us as to surfaces that might be recommended for in a facility for pets? Yeah. So there's a couple of things to think about too. And one of those also is one that we haven't really talked too much about, which is also allergies. So you just need to be very open to the fact that one, not everyone's going to like animals. And we need to be aware of that. Some people are afraid of animals. And so thinking about the types of species and making sure that we have those conversations before we bring an animal right in. Mm -hmm. And then the third also are some people have allergies. And so ensuring that uh, the types of animals that we're bringing in, the types of surfaces where we're bringing them are amenable to cleaning and disinfection. And so again, if it's not an animal that, for instance, maybe lives in the facility, then we can be very um, careful on where we take that animal in the facility. So if there's going to be a time where it's going to be, you know, opportunities for people to, to interact with the pet, 
then we can choose a location which is easy to clean and disinfect. So a lot of it comes down to planning. In terms of in terms of you know concerns about animals, um, so some of the animals vary a little bit in terms of their how vulnerable they might be, for instance, mm-hmm. to surface cleaners and things like yes, that. Dogs and cats, yeah. Exactly. So for instance, birds are generally very sensitive to different types of disinfectants. We have to be a little cautious about that. Some of the reptiles might, again, probably not a great choice, but we'll have we'll have skin that allows for those things to come in. So as long as we're we've if we're cleaning and disinfecting, and ideally we've washed away any any surface disinfectant at the very end after it's had an opportunity for that contact time to to kill the pathogens, we're generally fine for any of these animals. And so Part of those that information, though, is readily available from a veterinarian. And right. so that is an area that I would highly encourage every group should have a veterinarian who is responsible for, you know, giving input on the safety and wellness of those pets. And that that they can do. Vets are very well uh, versed in that. This other piece about this possible transmission of diseases from pets to people yeah. is less in the wheelhouse of the average vet. Right. Okay. But could be in the wheelhouse of the research that we, people can look further into. Um, Absolutely. Final final thing is, is more of a, um, just a point. Can we agree between us that anacrids are right out? Yeah, so we we knew we do need to be careful about about some of those other other animals and and really being aware of I think at the end of the day if you want to say to me I want to bring X type of animal in I'm going to say why. And so if we have a protocol and a process by which these decisions are at least discussed it will stop kind of, hey, by the way, I'm just going to have a good friend who's got a bunch of spiders he's going to bring in or whatever it is, right? Like yeah. we just need to make sure that we're really maximizing the benefit of these animals because there are also, and we've all been talking a lot about disease transfer from animals to people. Now, I'm not sure many people know this, but people can transmit diseases to animals. COVID is a perfect example. So although not very common, we absolutely know many cats, many dogs, many other animals have been infected with COVID from their people. And there's other other diseases as well. MRSA, methicillin-resistant staph aureus, big problem in a lot of healthcare facilities that can absolutely cause infections in pets. So being aware of this back and forth will help us determine what's the best Again, benefits. Which goes back to the point that you had previously made about the importance of having a a vet for your facility that you can run these things by and, and discuss and and get direct uh, feedback uh, to your questions. Thank you so much. You were actually the perfect guest to discuss this. I, there, as you said, having experience looking from both directions, people to pets and pets to people is a very niche um, thing, but clearly important, very important if we are going to go down this route to the benefits of having pets in, in care and dementia facilities. Thank you so much. Truly a pleasure. Thanks for having me. And you'll find direct links to some of the research we've been discussing on the podcast page for this episode at Third Age. Design. And we're continuing the discussion now with Scott Witt, founder and managing partner of Select Home Care, which he founded in 2009 in Portland, Oregon, a place that I used to live. 
His passion for serving seniors relates back to having multiple family members in healthcare, and following his service in the first Gulf War, he completed a bachelor's degree in mechanical engineering, adding on work in computing before embarking on his work with Select Home Care, who over the years have cared for Holocaust survivors, decorated World War II veterans, and even a pilot from the Tuskegee Airmen. Scott, thank you so much for joining me on the Third Age Design Podcast. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. No, we appreciate having you. And I, I wanted to ask specifically, I mean, I just briefly touched on the introduction as to uh, the fact that you had family members that were working in the care industry. But what have you noticed in the home care market in relation to keeping pets. Has this been an issue that's come up with, with the clients of, of your group? Well, yes, uh, our clients, so I know your this whole discussion is pets in care and definitely more pet focused. Uh, we have, so we, like you said, 2009, so I started about 15 years ago and one thing we've noticed is that our clients that have pets, they love those pets. They don't want to give them up. And it's a great thing because they uh, they keep them calm and stress. You know, they have all these benefits we'll probably talk about. But um, we're essentially a home care agency walking into a unknown situation. We, we do ask, uh, do you have any pets in the home, this and that, before we meet people and you don't always get a straight answer or, you know, uh, <laughs> they often forget that they have cats. And one of our folks that um, does the intakes is highly allergic to cats right. and her throat's almost closed up a few times and she's got an EpiPen. It's like, oh, you sure you don't have a cat? Well, yeah, but he stays in the bedroom the whole time. We didn't think he'd bother you. You know, <laughs> right. so uh, yeah, we, we, we deal with it and we, we know that, uh, they essentially want to keep the pets and, uh, we, our mission is just to make that safe and, uh, doable. So how do you, if you excuse the pun, vet <laughs> the, the yeah. pets before you go in? I mean, are, do you, are there particular questions that you, you ask about the demeanor of the pets, et cetera, the age of the pet, et cetera? Well, we are a little more um, person-focused first. So a lot of our discussions on our intake calls are more along the lines of the conditions of what the elder person's dealing with. Do they have any dementia and, you know, mobility issues and things like that? Um, and depending on who, a lot of times we're talking to a family member as well. Mm -hmm. um, so we're trying to gauge all of that in addition to are there pets in the home? And then once we know that we'll generally, it's normally just going to be a cat, a dog, a bird. Um, we don't hit too many exotic things. Um, and we, we don't necessarily, we probably should ask a little more detail on that, but generally we figure if the pets in there with an 85 year old, they're probably, it's probably not Cujo that's going to come after us and take us down at the door. But so we've been lucky, I guess, in that in that manner. Um, as, as, no, really just aside from what type of pet they have, we haven't gone too much beyond that. We just get there and kind of see what we have once we walk through the door. Right. And you, you mentioned safety a moment ago. And are there ever 
issues as people continue to age and um, uh, your uh, caring for them, select care, uh, home care is, is helping to look after and support them. Um, are there any issues with people suddenly becoming less stable on their feet and the, and the pet becomes potentially a problem? Have you ever had to have conversations around safeguarding the, the, the homeowner as they age with a pet? Yeah, we've, we have had that and we've had situations where we'll do an, an assessment of the home and point out all the obvious things that a lot of folks need to do, um, especially when their eye, eyesight may be degenerating, um, then they have mobility and balance issues. And so all those stability concerns come in and fall risk is really our number, one of our number one concerns that we look out for. And you can remove the throw rugs and put rails and everything else. But if you have a pet that's a, a nice, slow moving pet that doesn't move, and your uh, client can't see that, that becomes an issue where they're stepping and hitting and tripping over the over the pet. That's the number one. Um, or where they're not and, contrasted, where the, the dog is the same color as the carpet. Yeah. Well, yeah. And then they have yeah. eyesight issues and, and perception issues. Anyway, they couldn't even see the dog. Um, so sometimes that's uh, that can be a, a real issue. Uh, yeah. So, but we haven't, really um, had to go so far as to say, you know, you need to get rid of this pet. We would more try to deal with how can we, how can we make this safe for you, for the pet um, so that you can both still live. You can still love that little, little dog every, every day, but not trip over it and fall and break a hip and end up in rehab and right you know, the whole thing so and do you do a lot you you mentioned you know grab rails and things do you do a lot with you know why don't we make the dog bowl bright red you know so you don't trip over it or does it get to that level of detail or is it just down to the individual carer in that particular instance it's pretty much down to the individual person i think we're we will do a lot of little recommendations that i've never really even thought of in this sense but um, where to place. And normally they kind of have it set up. They've got the bowls and things in certain spots that they're familiar with. And generally right. those work out pretty well. So they're not tripping over that or running into that. Um, yeah. So I, I guess that, that generally works out. We, I haven't had to see too many things that we've done purely because there's a pet in the home there i guess there are good things to do whether there is or is not a pet in the home um as far as those all those mobility devices and railings and things like that right um, but it sure helps you know and the, a lot of times they're using a four-wheel or a front-wheel walker mm -hmm. um and that's that is kind of like a that'll that'll make the dog move you know because they the dog sees the walker coming and they kind of get out of the way but I hadn't uh, thought about that but that's obviously that's a very good point yeah it's it, yeah. all it needs then is the sound of a hoover and you've got you know <laughs> and you've, you've got everything and do you make sure do do people generally have an alternative carer should their health require it for example if somebody has a dog and they're really unsteady on their feet um, you know, do you recommend they have an alternative carer? Would your staff ever 
sort that side of things out and take a dog for a walk as part of their part of what they're doing during a visit yeah well yeah a couple parts to that i yeah uh for for sure we uh do that we do a lot of caring for pets and matter of fact we had one resident in a um, long-term care setting in an independent living that had a cat she just loved this cat and we actually did no care for the person but we came in to feed the cat water empty the litter box um at once a day and the little little fellow just passed away a few weeks ago but we did that for about three years um daily going in to take care of the pet and just as a side note that's uh expensive because we're um not really set up to do one hour or you know half hour checks um, most agencies are you know three or four hour minimum so we had kind of this elevated short shift rate to come in and do that and we're like well we're happy to do it because we love to care for animals normally how it works is we're there caring for the person and we also take care of the pet um as a side as a side note you know we make sure everything's good we'll take them for walks um, get them outside and then as far as the ongoing care or the another carer um, normally when we set up care we have the client um, and generally a family member a son or a daughter that's overseeing the care maybe they're the power of attorney or the healthcare power of attorney um they're generally we're not too worried about when our client passes away what's going to happen because we we know if they have family around right take care of that um so it's not i i do know um not to go in too many tangents, but we've had other residents that have had birds, um, like the parrots and things that live forever, it seems like. <laughs> and, uh, they, they, and the clients were telling us that they, when we first, when I first started doing this many years ago, they said, oh, we have a will, are uh, the birds in the will? And I'd never thought of that before. I said, wow, the birds in the will. They said, oh, yeah, because he's he's only 20 years old and I'm, I'm 87. So he's going to outlive me. You know, he's going to be here for another 40 years or 50 years. So uh, <laughs> I thought, boy, that's quite a, you're taking on quite a, uh, a project there when you decide to get a, a parrot or, you know, I, I'm not know if I'm using the right or a toucan or whatever those, right. You know, Mind those, bird, whatever. Yeah. yeah. That's very interesting. So the, yeah. The longevity of the pet is something we haven't discussed thus far, but that's a, a very interesting aspect for people to think about. And just to summarize, in terms of home care, the, the main concern and in interaction would be that which relates to safety in the environment with the pet and the resident and the individual carer who's going there being able to assess or make suggestions to make that environment uh, as safe as possible with with those parameters. Is that correct? Yes. Yeah, definitely. That's so lovely. And I had never thought about the the length of pets um, uh, lives, but definitely we need to stay away from um, giant tortoises. I think they live for <laughs> 120 years or something. Um, Scott, thank you very, very much. Yes. Oh, you're welcome. I appreciate it. 
There's more research and information on Select Home Care on the podcast page for this episode at thirdage.design. Okay, we've now topped, and if you'll excuse the pun, we're going to tail today's topic on pets in senior environments with some key do's and don'ts from a care operator in the United Kingdom. Ian Cole is the general manager for Hallmark Care Home's newest and very elegant facility, Willingdon Park Manor. With 15 years of experience in adult social care, he's achieved an outstanding rating for an acquired brain injuries home and has dedicated nearly 10 years to the multi-award winning Hallmark Care Homes. Ian, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. You're welcome. I want to begin by asking if you've ever previously been involved in homes which allowed pets. Yes, um, I mean, prior to to, to Hallmark, we we had the, the the policy where pets were allowed, but it was a a lot lesser scale in those days of residents bringing their own pets in. We was more reliant in in the old days of of the the, the care team or the or the management team bringing their pets in and then sort of taking them home, or the um, the pets at therapy, the, the pet pals coming in and and replacing. Um, the residents own pets again we bought in lots of different very very species and that but it was it was more a controlled where the residents did have the ability to do so but it, it wasn't something that was was looked upon i'm saying it's just something that we've we've really worked hard on at hallmark because it's just a, a big part with the residents well-being being put to the, the the front of their care and ensuring that they've got the normal day-to-day life within a care home so, because it's their home exactly exactly so um so yeah it, it was present let's say prior but it is a lot more evident these days and did you have any concerns the first time you came across this any specific concerns about pets in these sort of facilities and if so what what were your concerns um i suppose the concerns was that they wasn't introducing the risk to the resident by you know, getting under their feet or, or trip hazards or things like that. Um, and also for the other residents that were around people that had pets, that there was no, they weren't scared of them or phobias or allergies. I mean, that's obviously the other thing. So it's a much bigger picture that you you had to look at. And obviously you still do these days, but um, it's in a much more controlled and, and um rigorous program to ensure that it's improving everybody's um, well-being. And not just the people that that have the pets. Um, Just going back to what you just mentioned about allergic reactions. um, I know I was working on a a care home with a care home group uh, in the UK. And one of their sites, they had this big, long haired, fluffy white cat walking around. But of course, that was fine with the residents they had then. But how do you assure that anybody moving in isn't allergic to cats? So if you had a, if you had cats as an example in a home, do you have to literally quote unquote vet people who are allergic to cats to say you don't want to move here? Absolutely, and and, and that's just the, the process taking it forward. And again, also for the, the team that are working or or visitors of other residents, you know, you you've got to make everybody aware of what is in the home 
so that anybody has that ability to then be able to communicate back with us that it is an issue for them. So it's being open and, and transparent with what the home is doing. And as you say, quite rightly, going forward and making sure that you maintain that um, over the longer term. Right. And you mentioned earlier you, you had different species of pets. What what pets have you been involved with in, in care environments? Um, obviously, the, the main ones are, are cats and dogs, but I've had budgerigars. I've had one resident that had a rabbit and obviously fish. And we had one resident um, in the past that actually had a lizard, but it was only for a, a short term time while she was getting that rehoused. So again, it's having that that open policy that there isn't any real restrictions as long as it's manageable for everybody to be able to do so. You know, all, all the, the pets that come into the home have a, have a care plan. So and that's the pets what, have a care plan. Absolutely, absolutely. And, and, that, and that's followed by the risk assessment. But it, it's not only um, the, the well-being of, of everybody that's in there, but it's actually the well-being of the pet. You know, if you're moving, some, uh, say, a cat that's used to being going out and, and free roaming, and suddenly the resident's moving in onto the first floor, that's not something that is, the cat is going to be able to do freely. So you've actually got to look at the well-being of the animal so that the animal is not suffering in any way as well. So... You know, it's 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 just the restrictions and having an, an open mind on ensuring whatever type of animal the person wants to bring in, that we're ensuring that it's everybody, including the pets. Right. And the, the pets, um, well, the people, let's go back to the people first. The people, their health may not be stable all the time. So what sort of protocols do you have to put in place if a resident becomes unable to, let's say, walk their dog? Um, again, it's it's having a, a good, robust system in place at the beginning. You're working with the, the resident, their, their family, their friends, and the care team and the volunteers and the lifestyles team within the home so that for those periods when the, the resident isn't able to, to fully look after the pet, that there is a, a, a backup plan um, in place to ensure once again that the pet is not suffering in, in any way. And I mean, in all our homes, the, the, the care team get absolutely involved in the pet's care as well. And they, they love dealing with, you know, taking the dogs for a walk or, or you know, you know, taking the kid around or whatever. It's, it's, it's that whole home approach to ensure that, you know, that everybody is getting what they need at the right, right time in what place. And what what changes do you think or modifications might be necessary for a care home that's considering or an operator that's considering um, bringing pets in uh, in the future in terms of finishes? Does this mean you must have vinyl floors everywhere, for example? Does it mean that any dog bowls have to be color contrasted? Are pets allowed in lounges? I mean, what sort of uh, practical applications are there for the interior environment itself? I mean, uh, firstly, I mean, one thing that we are really, really fortunate with, with within Hallmark is all our uh, bedrooms are much larger than what we traditionally call care home bedrooms. Mm -hmm. a, lot of our room, a lot of the bedrooms have lounges, but also the communal spaces that's available within the home. 
it is is really good. So you've got all those extra areas to be able to, to ensure that the pet has got freedom to move around. But once you're in the bedroom, we wouldn't really want to change things because it's still the resident's home. So you wouldn't want to change the, the flooring, um, you know, to vinyl for the, the pet because the resident may prefer carpet on there. So it's, it's, it's managing every need on an individual basis. Again, not introducing risks to the to the residents. So you can't have the bowls the same colour as the carpet, because if the if the, the resident has got any kind of um impairment on, on site, again, that's introducing the trip. So every every separate instance has to be risk assessed individually for what is needed for right. that resident, for that pet, for that room. Now, your website, the Hallmark Care Home website in general, lists health benefits of having pets, uh, including improved mood, reduced depression, lower blood pressure, encouraging exercise, reducing and preventing stress, and even help to prevent disease. Um, uh, have you personally observed any of these benefits when you've seen people reacting or uh, have, have you seen the behavior or the demeanor of people change in response to pets in the home? Very much so. You know, it's, it's again, it's, it's bringing normality into the resident while they're within the care home. So all the things that we do and, and take for granted when we've got our pets, even as you say, just getting that little bit of exercise if you've got a dog and walking. Sometimes people could just be um, encouraged to be able to sit in their chair because they haven't got a purpose to go and do anything. You know, we, we will always encourage residents, but if they're bringing their own pets in, that's their self-motivation to ensure that, that they're doing these things. And I think one of the, the, the other big benefits that, that people sometimes forget, normally when residents are entering the home, for the first time is when they would be bringing their pets with them. So, and that's that's a big upheaval and a, a big stress levels for, for new residents coming into a care home. So if they've got their pet with them, again, it's, it's their home, they're transferring from one house to another, they've got their pets with them as a reassurance that everything is, is gonna be as normal. So it's just in, ensuring that it's a normal day-to-day -day living and that's, that's what pets bring. We all have our own pets at home, you know, and, and we do take it as a standard that we have them. So why can't people in care homes have that? Yes. And do you have a uh, a vet that, that works with the home and the pets in it, or do people use their own individual vets? We would normally, again, encourage people to, to have their own vet in place or a preferred supplier so that we, we would know who to contact. But obviously, there's always events that happen that no one's planning for. And within Brighton and in Eastbourne, we're very fortunate that there are lots of different veterinary surgeries, surgeries around the homes. So we've got the option in a case of emergency to be able to contact. But again, it's it's... That, that that resident's choice on what vets they're using because they may have used them for years working with the families what's best you know it, it is um that that relationship centered care that is also being transmitted over to the pets as well because we need to get everybody involved we need the resident the family the friends as well as the care team i so, love that you have a care plan for the pets i think that's amazing 
<laughs> it's important because you just got to you got to know that that you know previous conditions even with the with the pets what they've had in the past, but actually that everything that needs to be done is being maintained. Um, and again, everybody's then got a clear idea of that. You know, if there's a dog, it might like to be walked three times a day. Others might like one longer walk. So again, the care team have got that 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 record on to hand of of what actually the the, the pet requires. Right. And have you ever had the unfortunate um, situation where you had to ask a resident to remove a pet? Not not so not in my time, to be honest. Fantastic. I mean, You've obviously done the vetting up front properly then. Yeah. And, and that's the thing. It's the preparation paperwork that needs to be done. You know, if, if, the, if the resident can no longer care for the, the pet themselves, you know, is the family prepared to take over or the care team? I mean, most times the care team would always step over. Obviously, if the, the resident does pass, that's a, a conversation that we would have had at the beginning that what the family um, would like to do, you know. And, and in some cases, we've actually had where, where a resident has passed and, and the, the care team have made it the, the home's pet and it stayed within the home and, and other people have looked after it. So, that's I mean, beautiful. Yeah. We're, in, we're in a caring profession. You know, and it's it's and pets again are a big part of our life, and that that care should just transmit naturally to that as well. That's that's very very inspirational. So you, we've mentioned just a couple of uh, a couple of risks, um, potential trip hazards, uh, et cetera, potential of people having allergic reactions. But overall, my final question is, um, Ian, do the benefits outweigh any risks? Absolutely. I mean. The risks have always got to be managed, but the benefits are huge. That is as simple as that. You know, the benefits for everybody, but to actually have a resident that's sitting there happy, contented with their pet on their lap or by their side, that smile that transmits makes our job worthwhile because that's what we're there for, to make the resident's life as comfortable as we can. And that's what pets do. Thank you. That's that's really very, very helpful and, and um, quite inspiring. Thank you so much for your time, Ian. No, you're more than welcome. Thank you very much. You'll find lots and lots of research this month for this episode, including a short video from Japan in English about a very special end-of-life dog named Bunpuku. If you can get through this without being moved or even shedding a tear, you're a stronger person than I am. Time for our quick review of the TAD International Events calendar. Home Care Con is booked into the lovely Omni Orlando Resort in Florida, USA from the 31st of July to the 3rd of August. The National Exhibition Center in Birmingham, England is the site of the Care Show on October 11th and 12th, and I'll be speaking and hope to see you there if you're in the UK. The 33rd Alzheimer Europe Conference will take place in Helsinki, Finland from October 16th to the 18th, and as always, you'll find further details and listing on our events page at thirdage.design and let us know if you've got an event you'd like to see listed there. Thank you to all three of today's special guests, Dr. Jason Stahl, Scott Witt, and Ian Cole. To our producer, Mike Scales. To Valerie Adler of The Right Website. To Peter Thorne, who composed our theme music and is playing the piano with Mary Blanchard on flute. And to our sponsor, Anova Care Concepts the leading edge of healthcare. Finally, to you. 
Thanks for being part of a community who believes we can improve senior environments together. I'm Laurie Pinkerton Rowley, and I do hope you'll join me for the next one. Thank you.